Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best value registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. Like if you want to just ask your spouse one question, and this requires, for some people it's minor, for some people it's might require a step of trust to sort of ask this question. It's basically, what one thing could I do that would make it easier for you to talk about money with me? Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. Do love and money clash in your marriage? If so, it's not surprising because it happens a lot. And my guest today understands why that happens and what we need to do about it. So welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, Shanti Feldhahn. Oh, I'm always so glad to be with you, Jill. Can you tell I'm excited? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It's so good to be with you. So for those of you that don't know Shanti, she is a best-selling author. Uh, some of the books that might have heard of are for men only and for women only. But recently, she's authored a book called Thriving in Love and Money. And the insight in this book has been huge. And I just really felt like it was a conversation we needed to have on the No More Perfect podcast. You know, there's a story behind every book, Shanti. So tell us the story behind this book. So (laughs) the story behind this book is a story of us being called to do something we really didn't want to (laughs) do. Well, there you go. There's some honesty. Yeah. (laughs) Because, okay, it's a long story. I'll give you the short version is that for a number of years, we had been recognizing that all of the research we do, because you know how Jeff and I do all these big research studies to dig out essentially like the little things that are going to make a a big difference in your Mm -hmm. relationship and all these different areas. And we had been really aware that there was this looming cliff kind of where the business model for how we did those research projects was changing. They're really expensive And the business model and publishing had changed a lot. And it basically was, we came to this point where we didn't know how we were going to ever be able to pay for our research projects again. Hmm. And really had at that same point, really no idea of what the next step, what the next research project was supposed to be. And it was -hmm. was actually a bit, is disconcerting. Like, okay, Lord, do you want us to like switch to doing something else instead of writing and speaking? Like, you know, we can do that. 
And we get a call out of the blue a few days after we really kind of got worried about this Mm -hmm. and praying about it. And the call was essentially from a Christian financial services company called Thrivent. And I'd never heard of them. I know a lot of people are familiar with them, but they weren't in our area. And they said, look, we're starting an initiative because we know that one of the biggest issues in marriage is money. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a huge issue for marriages, but we don't think it has to be. This is what they were saying. So we're starting this initiative to try to help marriages around money. You know, we're a financial services company and they're very missional. And they said, how would you feel about making this your next research project and us funding it? Whoa. <laughs> initial like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Like, Lord, you're amazing. And then the second thought was, oh, no. <laughs> Because this was, after all the research we've done and incorporated into our own marriage, <laughs> this topic of money was the one big issue in our marriage where Jeff and I were not on the same page and really wow. hadn't been for our whole marriage, 22 years at that point. And it was really this recognition that, okay, the Lord is kind of handing us this. Like, it's really mm-hmm. clear at this point, this is what we're supposed to study. But, oh, dear, because it means we would have to confront it in a very <laughs> real way ourselves. So that's why I say this is a project we originally did not want to do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love that. I Just love that honest. backstory. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the way God does things, though? It's like he's going to help you and allow you to help others. So I love that. So one of the things that you guys talk about in and really it's the theme of the book. I once heard you say this book is the first book about money that you will read that isn't really about money. Right. Right. Usually it's about budgeting and it's about ways that you should be managing your money. But this is about the relationship as it relates to money, correct? It is. It's essentially the number one thing that we found once we did actually do the research and recognized people, I'm not going to be able to understand budgeting and spreadsheets and investments and insurance. Like I'm that's not something that I'm going to be able to understand enough to write about. And Mm -hmm. nor did I feel like I should, because there's plenty of amazing resources out there. Um, What there aren't resources out there on is how to help people in their marriage around money. Mm. Not here's how you budget, but here's how you have a great relationship around this topic that's really kind of squirrely sometimes. And the sort of the one sentence summary of what we found as the starting point, if you want to do that, if you want to have a great marriage around money, is to recognize that, you know, if you're having tension or you're not on the same page or you kind of avoid it or whatever it is that works out in your marriage, the key is when you're having those things about money, it's not about the money, right? It's, mm. it's about how money makes you feel. Mm. and how it makes your spouse feel and all these like perceptions of how money should work and and feelings and insecurities all this stuff running under the surface that we don't know is there Mm -hmm. and it's affecting us so that is the starting point that honestly is like the biggest deal like you just want one thing to remember that's it 
Right, right. You know, I once heard somebody say that we all come into adulthood with a manual. It's a manual that's going on inside of our head that is, this is the way that life should work. This is the way that marriage should work. This is the way that money works. This is the way that uh, conflict works. All of these things are your manual. And that manual came from really your growing up years. So, you know, just thinking about it uh, with that uh, analogy in mind, what you're saying is, is when the husband's manual clashes with the wife's manual. Yeah, exactly. At least our manuals clash. That's a piece of it. It's the manuals clash. We have these expectations of how things should work and they're off from each other. And then there's also stuff that's not even like expectations, but like these really deep insecurities, for example, something very deep inside each one of us that has certain things that we just are worried about, are afraid of. And they're just so obvious to us that this is what one is afraid of. Like, this is what you try to stay away from. And they are often different (laughs) between us and our spouse. There's basically, there's all these areas, all these opportunities, lovely opportunities (laughs) for disconnect and conflict. Yes, or opportunities for growth. There you go. That's a nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, when they're causing conflict, then yes, for sure. But then if we can look at them and go, all right, how can we grow through this? So yeah, that's huge. So you guys write that there are five key factors that impact couples and money. And that the first factor is that we have different values around money. Yeah. So can you explain that? Yeah. The easiest way of putting it is that we're completely blind to the fact that we're not, and this is going to sound really kind of mean, and it's not meant to be pejorative, but it's subconscious. We don't kind of know or care about what the other person cares about. (laughs) We we don't value what our spouse is valuing. Some of it is because of the manual that you just talked about. Like, well, of Mm -hmm. course, this is the way things work. Like, of course, this is how things happen. And you don't realize that your spouse has a different, of course. And so it's something that they really care about. A a classic example, silly example, but it's the kind of thing that arises every day. This is this is more causal, to use a regression analysis term. (laughs) This is more causal for day-to-day conflict, it turns out. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is that in, in somebody's mind, One person might be the type that says, you know, it is so important that we get away for a really good vacation every year. Take the kids, get away with us as a family, go do something special. You know, maybe we never had that growing up and I've always wanted to be able to do frequent flyer miles and go to Rome or, you know, take the kids on international travel or whatever, or go to the beach. Whatever that is. It's just to them, it means so much to know during the sludge of the year that they've got that two week thing out there that they're looking forward to with the family. And so Mm -hmm. you save up for that. Like that's what you put your money towards. Mm -hmm. And the spouse, your spouse may in their heart go, you know, what's so important to me with the sludge of life is to know that every other Friday night, we're going to have a date night. 
and we're going to go out to a nice restaurant and we're just going to pamper ourselves or we're going to go to a movie with the kids when there are eventually movies that you can go to. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, you know, that's a having little mini vacations every week or two is more important. It's just the way things work for them. That's what they mm -hmm. look forward to. Neither of those values mm -hmm. are right or wrong. Right. They're right. Just, they're just different. They just are. They just are. Mm -hmm. And the and the issue is there are hundreds of those where mm -hmm. we don't think about it necessarily. We don't communicate about it. We don't really realize that this is underneath the surface, but it impacts us every day. And it's what causes so much of the little frictiony kind of stuff that happens or not so little mm. sometimes. Right, right. So if we understand that we have differing values, what is one way that we can, one or more ways that we can begin to respect our spouse's values and we can explore this in our marriage? So the most crucial thing with all of this is also the most crucial for this one with the values is it's a, a real matter of going, and this is, again, this is going to sound pejorative, and I don't mean it this way. We just don't tend to do this. It's a matter of going, huh, it may not be that I am right. <laughs> like, I'm just thinking this is just the way we do things. Like, it just yes. is. It's, it's so clear. And pulling back enough to go, okay, it's so clear to me, but what is my spouse thinking? And huh, I hadn't really got inside my spouse's head on this and going, and this is going to sound weird maybe to some people, but going, you know what? My spouse's wants and what they care about may be just as legitimate as what I care about. And, yes. and that can cause some uncomfortableness because especially, and I'm going to jump into a slight hot topic here, but one of the other values differences is spending versus saving. Sure. And, and I will say delicately that especially in the church and especially amongst kind of the way that we have done money management as a church and Dave Ramsey classes and Compass classes and Crown and all those things which are wonderful and incredibly mm -hmm. valuable, there is a predisposition to view the person who values saving a lot for the future as right and the person who values enjoying today and sort of saying, but God has given us gifts he wants us to enjoy today too and viewing that as slightly wrong. And mm. now there are things that you can do to get in trouble, like getting into debt and stuff that's also very clearly dangerous, but neither of those two spending versus saving in themselves is right or wrong. And mm -hmm. so for someone who just is, well, this is just, you just save for the retirement, like that's just what you do, is kind of going, you know what, my spouse is feeling that they really want to enjoy today as well. That may not be wrong. And mm -hmm. putting yourself in the other person's shoes. I'll mm -hmm. give you an example of that, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm, please. Um, so... <laughs> This is actually something that, again, I'm going to be really transparent about Jeff's and my relationship around money before <laughs> we, did mm -hmm. we did the study. So Jeff is very much the saver in uh -huh. our family. And I'm not a crazy spender, but I'm much more the spender, much more comfortable with that, etc. And going, God will provide. He gives us good gifts. I don't want to save it all for retirement and not enjoy today. You know, like I'm very much comfortable with that. 
So Jeff, being the saver planner type, had wanted for years to go to Dave Ramsey at our church. And they would offer it, you know, every year or two. And he'd always say, can we sign up? Can we go? And I'd go, oh, gosh, you know, I've got so many speaking engagements and I'm traveling. I'm going to miss this week and I'm going to miss that week. And all those reasons were kind of real, but they weren't the real reason. The real excuse mm. was just that I, I didn't want to go with them. And so mm. finally, <laughs> I hate to confess this to your listeners, Jill, but <laughs> finally, Jeff went on his own because I would not go with him. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. And so when we started this research project, it was fascinating that a few months into it, once we're finally understanding all this stuff that's going on under the surface, and most of us can't articulate it, we don't even know it's there, much less be able to talk about it or articulate what we're feeling. Jeff was finally able to come to me and go, I just realized why you wouldn't go with me. Mm. And he said, I thought it was because you didn't care about our finances, right? Mm. And you, you just wanted to be irresponsible. <laughs> no judgment there. Um, but he said, but, you know, I realize that actually, you know me, and you know, I'm kind of an all or nothing kind of guy. And that if uh -huh. I went to a Dave Ramsey class, I uh -huh. would be coming home and putting the family on the equivalent of a 500 a calorie a day diet. Like, <laughs> just we're going to eat Franks and beans for 200 days just to see how much we can save up. And you, you did not find that idea appealing. And I'm like, ding, 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 right in one. I would never have been able to articulate it, but it was exactly oh, wow. the reason. And it did you notice? It had nothing to do with money. Right. It was my right. worry about how Jeff, in this particular instance, would handle that situation that I wanted to avoid. And wow. that's the kind of thing that once you start looking at it, you see this incredible landscape of the inner life of your spouse in a whole new way. And you grow so much closer. Wow. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I'm so glad that he was able to articulate that, which probably because you guys were in the middle of doing the research yeah. and he started connecting the dots and yeah. going, Oh, yeah, which is the value of your book. It helps people to connect the dots to their consistent conflict or their frustrations or the ways that it feels like they're on different pages, but it helps them to look underneath the surface and figure out what's really going on. Yeah. Why? Why is this happening this way? Why am, why am I so frustrated? Mm -hmm. Right? Why do I resent something? You know, that's, right. that's resentment about something, even if it starts up small, that's a dangerous feeling. We actually oh. can tell you statistically, our, we have a survey designer consultant that we've used for all of our books. He's amazing. And this was a personal interest for him. And he ran all these regression analyses on the data and came up. Okay. You've that. used that term a couple of times. What is a regression analysis? So when you have a set of data, that's basically things that it essentially is looking for causal relationships mm -hmm. of what is correlated to something else, what's correlated to this or not correlated to this. Okay. And gotcha. so we had, for example, in our data, we had identified 26 points of tension. We basically just 
identified as many possible different types of points of tension around money as possible. Not just that you fight about it. People think you fight about money. It turns out, yeah, some people do. About half of people fight. But for most, it's more like somebody feels the martyr. Like, fine, I will sacrifice because you won't. Or whatever. Like, you know, bills go unpaid because you're not talking about it. Or there's just 26 of these that we identified. And so what we actually did with those points of tension is we looked at the different feelings that the different types of tension, resentment was one of them. Hmm. And we correlated that with how good somebody's relationship was, how happy they were, what some of the different sort of measures of closeness were, and found that the people who had the feeling of resentment, mm-hmm. it was most closely correlated with some of these really dangerous feelings. Mm. And some of the kind of things that undermine your relationship. So that's an example of mm-hmm. it's kind of important to understand what's going on under the surface because it can lead to some dangerous things if you don't. Right. Right. Well, it really reminds me, you know, in our No More Perfect Marriages book, Mark and I talk about the slow fades. And a slow fade is Mm. when your hearts are getting pulled apart one little quarter inch at a time Mm. underneath the surface of your marriage. And when you don't recognize, you don't even feel it until a quarter inch works with a quarter inch and another quarter inch. And then you're starting to feel that distance. And yeah. so you're, you're identifying some slow fades here yeah. that are underneath the surface and resentment is a, a huge one. Yeah. It starts with confusion. This is a colloquial way of putting it. It starts with confusion and frustration and then irritation And it gradually moves through these other different types of points of tension. All of them can happen in different order. But resentment is much further along the pike. By Mm -hmm. the time you've gotten to a sense of resentment, you've actually had your slow fade. And you're in the point where, Mm -hmm. to use your analogy, it's the thing where suddenly somebody is equivalent of kind of flirting with a friend at work. Like, Mm -hmm. like you never would have done that early on. Mm -hmm. Um, But by the time you get to resentment, a lot of things have happened. And it's kind of important to recognize, you know, I kind of do have a little bit of resentment towards my spouse, I need to figure out what's underneath that. And maybe not just try to keep getting them to understand my way of thinking. But me actually recognizing their way of thinking may be legitimate, which is really, really a backwards feeling for the more saver planner types. Right. So I can just hear, um, you know, someone out there listening going, you know, I really value what you're saying, but the thought of having a conversation with my spouse about this just I, I mean, it's, it's way too scary mm-hmm. it, because, because we end up in some big argument. We always end up in a wrong place. So why do you think it's worth the risk? And then what steps could we take to maybe have that conversation go differently than it has in the past? So it's 100% overwhelmingly worth the risk because it turns out again, the regression analysis found that 
the most important factor, there were two kind of competing most important factors for having a great relationship around money versus a tense one. And they were building cushion so that you have like emergency savings, blah, 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 like those kinds of things. It's actually protective of your relationship, not just of your finances. But the one that even trumps that one is your ability to talk about it. It turns Mm. out it was better for people to talk about it, even if they didn't have that kind of margin or that cushion financially, better for the relationship than if they had plenty of cushion, tons of money, but they couldn't talk about it. They were likely Mm. to have a worse relationship. And, And so it is essential for the relationship, but don't think about it like, and this is what we discovered over the period while we were doing the book. And since, by the way, because we always keep our different research projects going. And actually, if you think about it like, okay, I have to talk to my spouse, you're never going to want to do it. Like you may do it and it may be fine, but you're never going to want to start. Like that feeling yourself oh. itself keeps you from starting. Yes. And so instead, don't think about, I have to talk about it. Instead, Think about it as there is something clearly by definition, if you guys are having tension around it and every time you start to talk about it, it goes off the rails. By definition, there is something very deep and very important to your spouse that you do not know. Mm. You do not understand. There's something that matters a great deal to them, something that they're afraid of. That's another big thing we probably should talk about is the fear factor in this. And there's something that they're afraid of, something they're insecure about, whatever it is, there's some big thing or multiple big things that you simply don't understand about your spouse. And so don't think about it as we have to talk about money. Think about, I need to understand you. Mm, Oh my goodness. I need to to understand what's underneath the surface. I need to know what's going on in the heart of this person that I love more than anybody else in the world, you know? And if you think about it that way, Take off the table talking about money for a while. Like, I mean, it's not really about that. It's Mm -hmm. about understanding your spouse. Ignore sharing your own feelings for the minute. (laughs) If Mm -hmm. they're not ready to hear about you, that's fine. You know, Mm -hmm. just really try to dig into those feelings. Yeah. So like you're going on an expedition to discover their thoughts, maybe even their experiences. This is a great time to talk about even growing up and your experiences with money growing up. Was it, I mean, you may know the basics. It it was very present and there was plenty of money or that things were tight. So you may know that, but maybe going deeper than that, like what did that make you feel when you knew that? And what fears did that feed Uh, when you experienced that. And what we found about people's childhoods, it was really fascinating, actually, because when we started out the research, we didn't know what questions to ask. You know, we're just sort of doing all these interviews like we do. And just talk to me, like, tell me what you think is underneath your responses to money. And people would often go, well, maybe it was my childhood. But what we actually found is that their growing up experience, it wasn't actually related to the situation itself, it was related to how they responded to it emotionally and mentally. Because literally, this happened a couple of times where we were doing a research site at a big church in um, Kentucky, mm-hmm. one of our very first sites. Interview number, you know, five 
couple comes in, sits down. Husband says, you know, I grew up poor, really, really poor. And I never want to feel that way again. So I save everything, you know, and the wife's over there going, yeah, he does. You know, it's like that. Literally the next interview, interview number six, couple comes in, sits down. Husband says, I grew up poor really, really poor, never want to feel that way again. So I take my family out to eat all the time. Like we want to give them things. We want to go on vacations. We want to have the life that I didn't have. I want my kids to be able to experience what I didn't. So two exact same growing up stories. It wasn't, mm-hmm. the, it wasn't the situation. It was how they responded to it. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what you're talking about, Joe, is dig into that you know, you may yeah. not necessarily recognize what's tied to it. Right, right. Wow. So talk about, uh, you said we probably ought to dig into fear. Let's talk about that, the fear factor and money and how all of that works together. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It turns out that there's very few things about money that are gender related. You know, a lot of people know me for my books for women only and for men only, which help men and women understand each other. I was interested to find that there weren't a lot of gender correlations in um, in the money topic. Like despite the stereo- yeah, despite the stereotype like women aren't savers and men aren't spenders. Like it's about half and half for everybody. Which was interesting. But mm-hmm. there was one topic that was very gender correlated. And it's actually that men and women tend, not a hundred percent, but about 80-20, tend to have different the best way of putting it is these kind of gut level, almost knee jerk, subconscious fears and insecurities mm-hmm. and worries. The best analogy I could come up with when I was listening to people and trying to understand what they were saying, the best analogy is almost like if you're afraid of heights, like I don't know if you're afraid of heights, Jill. I mm-hmm. have a fear of heights yes. for some weird <laughs> reason. Like I just, I don't like, you know. Yes. Those gondolas at Disney World or whatever that are on the, the wire. I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, or standing on the edge of a cliff. Like, you know perfectly well you're safe, right? Yeah. You, you know, you're not going to fall over, but it's like, I can't. And that's this kind of gut level irrational fear, but it's real. And mm-hmm. that's the closest thing I can describe it is that we tend to have different versions of that for different things. For men, that gut level kind of irrational fear is how am I going to be able to provide for the family? And more specifically, feeling like I'm not enough to provide for the family. I am not enough to keep my family from being pulled over the edge of that cliff and dying because I'm not enough. And so it's the sense of I got to back away from the edge. I've got to do whatever it takes to make me feel better I'm putting distance between me and the cliff. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of things related to this about guys. It's relevant to what I found in For Women Only, you know, about so many men look strong and confident and on the inside have so much vulnerability and self-doubt that, you know, it's helpful for us as women to know this mm-hmm. and, they're, you know, kind of affirm them because it helps. But that backing away from the cliff, so to speak, yes. of am I going to be able to provide feeling better? It often leads to things that are like, okay, so now I have to work a bazillion hours 
or mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have to constantly be available in this sort of pandemic world that we're living in. I have to constantly be available by text message to jump on a Zoom meeting with my boss, even if it's nine o'clock at night or whatever, mm -hmm. because I don't want to be on anybody's question mark list. Like this feeling right. of that. And the wife might look at that and go, but you're the best salesman they have. What do you mean? Why would you be on anybody's question mark list? Because we have so much confidence in him. And it's the mm -hmm. reverse of how he feels. And it's real to him. The problem right. is, is that all that effort to stay away from the cliff, work the extra hours, you know, whatever, it takes him away from his wife and kids. Mm -hmm. And that triggers what is more likely to be a woman's cliff, which mm -hmm. is women are just as likely to be worried about money as men are, but it's not a cliff fear. It's not, I'm not enough to keep the family from falling. What a wife might be wondering is, am I enough for you? Are we okay? Is the family okay? Are the kids feeling loved? Like this feeling of it's way more easy for a woman to feel like something's going a little wrong. There's tension in the family. There's distance and feeling mm -hmm. like there's a cliff there and we're being pulled towards it where the guy's like, there's not a cliff. We're just having an argument. Mm -hmm. Right. Like mm -hmm. what are you talking right. about. There's no we're just having an argument. It's not why do you need reassurance? So anyway, the problem is is a man's efforts to stay away from his cliff edge pull her towards her cliff edge. Hers. And so now what she does, we found, tends to be we need to do things together. We need to spend more time together. And those things often involve money. Like, you know, before the pandemic shut everything down, it's like, you know, let's go out to eat. Let's, you know, again, go to a movie night or let's do something as a family. Let's go on vacation with the kids, which costs money. Hold <laughs> <laughs> him towards his edge. And so we have this, this struggle that's entirely internal and emotional. Mm -hmm. And it looks like it's about money and it has nothing to do with money. It's wow. all about recognizing that this thing that we don't think is really an issue. You're the best salesman they have. It doesn't mm. matter to him. He feels like he's being pulled towards that cliff edge. And for the guy to recognize, like, it's just an argument. Why are you worried? Like, yeah, okay, I'm distant. I'm working a lot of hours. I'm doing it for us, you know, mm -hmm. but she's feeling disconnected and the kids are irritated or not feeling loved. And that's a real thing for her. Recognizing that the fear is a real thing is this yes. huge piece of connecting. Yes. And when we are tuned in to each other's fears, we deepen intimacy. Mm, I like that way of putting it. Yeah. You know, Mark and I once heard somebody say that the best definition of intimacy is into me see. And isn't that good? That's into me see. Brilliant. Wow. I love it. I like it. And, yeah. And that's really what you're talking about here is if we can see into the heart of our spouse, if we can better understand their fears, their thinking, then we really are actually deepening our intimacy with them. And what a gift that is to a marriage. I think we all long for deeper intimacy and deeper connection. We just don't always know how to get there. And well, it's interesting this, because this thing about under, like using money as like a little trigger mm -hmm. 
to right. being into your spouse is one way to get there that we never would have thought would be helpful, but it really is. It really is. Wow. Yeah. So let's switch gears just a little bit. You know, as believers, you know that the Bible talks about money quite a bit and Jesus talked about money. Now that you have the context of the research you've done and you have a better understanding of this, why do you think that uh, Jesus talked about money so much? You know, as I looked at this pretty quickly, I I felt this answer to that. And I haven't changed over because sometimes my answer changes over the years. Mm-hmm. You know how Jesus said one of the most famous statements about this is where your treasure is, there your mm-hmm. heart will be also. Right. Mm-hmm. And he he knows God knows from the way he's made us, the way that sin has impacted us, all these other things. He knows that money is actually really a matter of the heart more than a technical thing. It touches mm-hmm. our heart. Yes. And the thing that we often don't recognize when we deal with this, we have heard, and I should say, many pastors have done a great job of trying to talk to their congregations about this exact topic and why, mm-hmm. for example, tithing and mm-hmm. our tithes and offerings are so important and trusting God. Like it, it really reveals the heart. Like, are you going to, God is like saying, are you going to trust me or not? Mm-hmm. And that same thing applies in a marriage, not about trust necessarily or only, but about all these other areas. Like it reveals Mm -hmm. the heart. It reveals what we're thinking and feeling really deep down. What we don't recognize is that it also steers the heart. Mm. I am worried about how I'm going to pay my mortgage, but I am going to write that tithe check anyway, because God says to do it and trust me. Okay. Yeah. Steers me to trust God more. And then I see him provide in these amazing ways. I'm like, wow. Like he said, test me and try me. And you'll Mm -hmm. see that I honor that. That's what God has said. And he does. And it's very, very similar in a different application, obviously, but very similar in a marriage situation where it's like, you know, for example, I'm kind of, you know, I come from maybe somebody might be thinking I come from a broken home. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I saw my mom leave my dad or my dad leave my mom. And so when I get married, I'm going to want to keep a little banking account on the side. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, my mom always says, always keep somebody on the side just in case he flakes out on you. Like I hear that so much from mm-hmm. people. And now I come to know the Lord and I'm listening to sermons and I'm kind of feeling convicted. Like I've got the secret over here, something that's not being one in marriage. And maybe God doesn't want me to have this little secret stash on the side that some of my paycheck goes into every two weeks. Maybe that's not being one in marriage. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that's revealing the heart of, Mm -hmm. you know, I tried to keep things separate. Well, guess what? When you say, you know what, I'm going to sit down and tell my husband, you know, I've had a bank account on the side and you probably knew that. And I've been keeping that separate because it's, you know, to kind of keep a protection there. But that's building a wall between us. And Mm -hmm. I don't want that anymore. It's a big deal for me, but I, I really want to bring that in and put that money in our joint bank account and just trust you and, you know, trust God in that. That is steering the heart as well. 
you are steering your heart towards oneness in marriage when you do that. And so I think all of that is the reason that Jesus talked about money so much, like more than any other topic in his parables, for example, was about money. And I think these are the reasons why, because it doesn't just reveal the heart, it steers it. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's such great insight. Powerful. All right. So from a practical perspective, I'm sure that some of our listeners would probably say, all right, I really want to, I want to have some intentional steps to move forward our relationship as it relates to money, but they've never been able to talk about it. So what would be one simple step that they could take to get started? Well, one thing that they can do, there's actually two. Can I beg you for sure? Someone? Yeah, let's do two. <laughs> sure. I'm all about there's, practical. <laughs> there's actually there's actually two. So the first, like if you want to just ask your spouse to us, we think one question. And this requires, for some people, it's minor. For some people, this might require a step of trust to sort of ask this question. It's basically, what one thing could I do that would make it easier for you to talk about money with me? Ooh, I love that. And and just leave it open, you know, because somebody might say, well, you could not freak out every time I try to bring it up or, you know, whatever. Like there may be 14 different things that you hear. But just ask that question of each other with an open heart. And then, and this is why I say there's a second step here, is that the way that we tackle this topic is so different from the application of the people who tackle it from a technical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Now, we think that there are some crucial next steps that help people to be able to talk about this and relate well and understand what are those things in the landscape of my spouse's inner life that I don't know. Like, I want to find those out even, you know, if we've never really thought about it before, we've got a lot of resources that we've created that are almost like, yeah, if you want to do great Dave Ramsey, great. If you want to do a crown class, awesome. But this will actually help you make more of that. Like do this first. Talk, Mm. learn to communicate about money before you have to go figuring out how to allocate money for different buckets or whatever. Um, Yes. And so we actually have several different tools that we think will really help people. We have a free assessment that is um, amazing. I mean, if I do say so myself, it's we have found it to be statistically really helpful on our thrivingandlovingmoney.com website. So okay. you go to thriveandlovingmoney.com or thrivingandlovingmoney.com. Mm-hmm. There's an assessment there that'll really help you to sort of figure out what you most need to start in terms of okay. relationship stuff. But also there's a course that has just come out, actually, that's just a six week, super simple, like six sessions. It's not even six weeks, six sessions. You can do it with your just with your spouse Mm -hmm. or you can do it with a small group. Mm, Okay. You know, there's some discussion questions. There's a way you can do it in a group or do it just with the two of you or on your own, really. If you just have some way of kind of tackling this and your spouse Mm -hmm. isn't interested, you can do it by yourself. Okay. So anyway, there are, I think, some pieces of the puzzle that once you step forward and start to apply it, how does this apply to me? It opens up this whole new sort of awareness for you. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. That's good. We'll make sure that we put the links both to the free assessment and the six-week course in the show notes. So if you're listening and you would like to click over to those, just check out the show notes and we'll make sure that that is in there and that you can find that. This has been so helpful, Shanti. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, this, this is one of these topics that has become very close to my heart where it never used to be. So I appreciate the chance to talk about it. Oh, love it. Absolutely love it. Can you tell people where they can find you actually online outside of Thrive and Love and Money? Mm-hmm. They can find me at Shanti.com, which has like links to all the different books and all the different resources. Yes. And we will make sure that we put a link also to the Thriving and Love and Money book because you may just want to pick that up and dig further into what we've talked about today. Thanks for joining us, Shanti. Thanks so much, Jill. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over at jillsavage.org slash podcast. See you next week for another not perfect, but very important conversation about the real stuff of life.